We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Being young, male, gay, and unemployed or homeless in South London between 1978 and 1983 was extremely dangerous. If you were prone to a drink, needed a friend, or just a place to stay for the night, then there was one man who would happily oblige you. He would ply you with alcohol, ask you back to his place with the offer of warmth and maybe a movie or listening to music. But just as you were getting comfortable and nodding off to sleep, you might awake to find yourself being sat on, strangled, suffocated or drowned. And being inebriated, there was little you could do but stare back into the eyes of your killer as you felt your life slip away. Who was this man and why would he do such a thing when he'd been so kind just hours earlier? The answer was a name that would become one of Britain's most notorious and disturbing serial killers. His name was Dennis Nilsson. Hello, fellow weirdos. I'm Amy. <laughs> and I'm Dub. And welcome to this week's episode of Horror House. Um, I hope you're well, and I hope you're having a fantastic week so far, um, because you deserve to be having a fantastic week, because quite frankly, you are an absolute legend, because you're here with us, and, you know, only legendary people do that. So keep doing what you're doing, keep making good decisions. We'll be right there supporting you. Dom, my dear, how are you? I am grand um no i'm very well thank you i'm very excited that the the band is back together the band is back together <laughs> i'm trying to think of something that rhymes with twosome good i was about to say troublesome twosome gruesome. that's bad good. gruesome twosome <laughs> gruesome twosome ebony's like no we're called the gruesome twosome movie review some <laughs> i mean um, uh, i can't think just of us. the dynamic duo there you go I can't um, even like merge our names one. into a good name that makes sense, like Damey or Amom. Um, <laughs> I can't make it work. Amom. Amom. I quite like it. It's quite uh, nice, right? Let's put that on a t-shirt. Amom <laughs> on the front, Damey on the um, back. And then our logo in a big back print. Um, yeah. No, I'm... <laughs> no I, I'm very excited that we're recording again. As I've said... I've missed you and I've missed recording with you. So I'm very happy that we're, we're back together oh, and I'm very excited. That's okay. You are very welcome, my dear. I'm very excited <laughs> to get into this week's case. The name isn't actually that familiar. Shock me. I know. I know. I'm a host of a true crime podcast and I've never heard of Dennis Nielsen. What the fuck? Um, what is the that? The thing is, though, I feel like you're, you're very big on like American serial killers. Like, which I yeah, enjoy as well, yeah. but I, I feel like I don't know as much about them as you do. Whereas I'm very big on British serial killers. Like, that's my yeah, area. No, that makes sense. You know, there's going to be a lot of British serial killer fans that hear this name and go, okay, this makes sense. Um, but before I dive into it, do you want to tell the good people all about our merch store and what we've got on offer? Yes. Just in case you don't know, we have a merch store. We have... We have hoodies, we have mugs, we have tumblers, we have t-shirts, we have 
AirPod cases. Uh, we have other stuff. Oh, bloody hell, I had a right. Oh, yeah, my brain's completely gone. We've got, we've got things. We've got a lot of stuff. With our logo. The people understand. We, <laughs> we've, got, we've got a lot of stuff with our logo. The, the Spores of Horror slash Horror House thong is in the works. Uh, it was going to be oh, yeah. mine and Amy's face on the front, Stephen and Leo's face on the back. Keep an eye out for that. So it's 30% off the entire store, not just an item. That is your entire basket, which is which is cray-cray. There's no shipping. Uh, well, no, there is shipping. Uh, there's no shipping charge, is what I meant to say. So, you're um, right, Dom. I feel like you're a little bit shipping. too excited about the merch. I know. This has gone off the rails. Fucking hell. Um, let's wrap this up. 30% off, whole store, free shipping. There are things with our logo. Australia and New Zealand are made up countries. They don't exist. So therefore, you're not going to get... I'm joking. Australia and New Zealand, you will get free shipping as well. But yes, have a look at the merch store. You know, after hearing this plug for the merch store, who wouldn't want to look at the merch store? Because this hasn't been an absolute... I'm headed straight disaster. there. <laughs> Amy, please talk about the Buy Me A Coffee link. I'll talk about the Buy Me A Coffee link. Here's how it's done. We have a Buy Me A Coffee link. <laughs> you should use it to buy us a coffee. You can buy us one coffee or two coffees or three coffees or as many coffees as you want. It's a really great way to give us money without actually giving us money because you can pretend it's for coffee, but actually you're just giving us money. We like money because it helps us do this. You should donate because you're listening. So clearly you like us. We like you. Give us money. Let's move on with our lives. Wonderful. <laughs> I think just, that was good. I think, uh, I think that's really going to hit home with people. Round of applause. <laughs> um, now that we've got that out of the way, should we talk about Des? I thought you said, let's talk about death. And I was just like, yes, yes, I mean, let's talk about death. We're, we're going to talk I a mean, little bit about that as well, <laughs> um, which leads me quite nicely onto our trigger warnings um, for the episode, because there are a few. We oh, are okay. going to be discussing child abuse, child sexual abuse, sexual abuse, dismemberment, and necrophilia. So bear oh, all grand. of that in mind. <laughs> and if any of those words give you the heebie-jeebies and you want to bow out now we won't judge you you can go back and listen to the collab i did with 100 horrors about carl tanzler who dug up a grave and then slept with it in his bed for seven years oh that's nice give that a listen <laughs> that sounds slightly yeah. less necrophilia <laughs> than this but if you're still with us and you still want to hear about older uh, des nelson then get ready because here we go i am cool. ready <clears throat> i'm so glad you're ready let's do it Dennis Andrew Nielsen was born on the 23rd of November, 1945, in Fraserburg, Aberdeenshire. Um, he was second of three children born to Elizabeth White and Olaf Magnus Mocksheim, what a um, name. who later adopted the name Nielsen. I don't know why he just did. The marriage between Nielsen's parents was very difficult. Olaf Nielsen didn't really view marriage with any seriousness, um, and he was very preoccupied sorry, with his duties in he freed Norwegian forces, um, so he didn't really spend much time with his wife. Um, he, all three of his children were conceived when he was visiting home, albeit very briefly. So his, like I say, his three kids, Olaf Jr., original name, Dennis and his daughter Sylvia were all conceived on those very, very brief visits when he popped home to see his wife, when he remembered that he had a wife. How nice of him. Um, but yeah. those, those visits were busy by the sounds of that. Good grief. I mean, Man I'd like to think they like, did right, more I'm coming. than just conceive them. Like, maybe there was a little bit I mean, more to know. it. Sounds like he ploughed and left, to be honest. I'm not going to lie. Popped home, banged his wife, left. And got <laughs> yeah. pregnant with the first go. 
you know. <laughs> Great. That is efficient, if nothing else. Um, after the birth of their third child, um, Nilsson's mother concluded that she had, quote, rushed into marriage without thinking. And needless to say, they did end up getting divorced in 1948. As a result of that, Nilsson wasn't particularly close with his parents. Um, and instead, he spent a lot of time with his grandfather. Um, but sadly, in 1951, his grandfather suffered a heart attack on a fishing trip and died. Oof. In a moment that would later be described by Nelson as one of his, his most vivid childhood recollections, he remembered seeing his mother crying um, and asking him if he wanted to see his grandfather. Bear in mind, at this time, he was just six years old. Um, he was taken into the chapel of rest where he saw and remembered seeing his grandfather's body looking peaceful. Um, and was told by his mother that his grandfather was sleeping and had gone to a better place. I mean, we could have a really long talk about how old you should be before you see a dead body. I personally don't think yeah, six I... is the right age. I think you should probably be a bit older. Yeah, six is problematic. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Should be at home I don't think you're really old enough to make that decision. Yeah, it's definitely a bit much. After the death of his grandfather, Nilsson became more and more withdrawn. And as a result, his mother and stepfather began to give more and more attention to his older brother and his younger sister. And as a result of that, Dennis really grew to resent them. He really wasn't too keen on his siblings at all. At the onset of puberty, uh, Nilsson discovered that he was gay. And it being the 60s at the time, um, that came with a lot of guilt and a lot of confusion. Um, initially, he kept mm -hmm. his sexuality hidden for obvious reasons. Um, but he noticed that the kind of boys that he was attracted to for very similar features to that of his younger sister, Sylvia. Oh, which is concerning. Dennis. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Dennis. It's, oh. it's an ideal start Jesus. to your sexual exploration is, hey, my sister looks all right. No. Right. <laughs> That's bad. We're entering Game like, of Thrones You don't want to be territory. banging your... I was about to say, you don't want to be banging like your, your boyfriend and then just like picturing your sister. Yeah, well, brace yourself, that Dom, because it gets worse. I mean, this is this is casual right. <laughs> in comparison to what we're headed into. Obviously, he was a bit confused by that. He he recognised the fact that some of these boys did look like his younger sister. So he thought he'd, you know, try out that line of thinking. Um, and he did once on one occasion, just one occasion, um, sexually fondle his sister. Um, as he believed that his attraction yeah. to boys with the similar features um, was a manifestation of his care towards her. So he thought, you know, I care a lot about my sister. Therefore, I, I only like boys that look like her. And and he thought that if he, you know, for want of a better <clears> phrase, gave her a grope, that would answer his question. But obviously it did not. It just led to war. Yeah. I'm all for loving your family. But I mean, Dennis, mate, there's, there's yeah. There's a line. Likes. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, We're going to keep man. going. <laughs> Although Dennis made no sexual advances um, to boys, you know, outside of his family at this time. Um, he had reportedly been fondled by an older youth and he, quote, did not find the experience unpleasant. So I think he's getting closer to confirming that he is, in fact, gay. As he sexually developed, should... he made an attempt I... to fondle his older, bro older brother as he slept. Um, and this led his brother to suspect that he was gay, shockingly enough. Um, and his brother, from this point, would belittle him in public, um, often referring to him as hen, which, if you're not Scottish or familiar with Scottish dialects, generally means girl. It's something you call a young lady. So he oh, just liked okay. to really eliminate the piss out of him. So, I mean, to be fair, I think his older brother had yeah. a point. Not um, about him being a girl. Yeah, that's... Uh, but 
I know what you mean. Yeah. So I la- I I realized that I laughed when you said that he he was groped by someone and said the experience was not unpleasant or something along those lines. I realized that I laughed at that and I just want to clarify listeners I wasn't laughing at him being groped because that's don't grope people PSA for anyone who doesn't know don't go around groping people that's how you get uh yeah yeah, that's how you get put on a list and you don't want to get put on a list what I was laughing at was the fact that reaction was the most British reaction I think I could have ever heard yeah (laughs) well that wasn't very unpleasant I I love the conclusion oh I got groped by an older boy it wasn't unpleasant. I'm gay. <laughs> like that's the natural progression, right? That's how it works. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> that's how everyone finds their sexuality, isn't it? They get groped. Oh and, yeah, um, absolutely. Lo and behold, yeah, hundred percent. So yeah, his brother wasn't very nice to him. Often belittled him in public. Um, and at the age of fourteen, Dennis decided that life in his hometown of Stricken was just too stifling. It was a bit too much. So he was going to get away from it all by joining the army cadet force um, in the hopes that he could then join them and kind of get away from his his family, presumably in his hometown. Understand. That didn't prove too difficult because Nelson was very much above average in school. He was quite a clever guy. So he managed to secure a place in the army catering corps um, without too much difficulty. His army career in itself was pretty, to be honest, remarkable. You know, he he was in the army for quite a long time, 11 years, I believe. But it was what was happening inside Nelson's head while he was in the army that is the bit that should cause concern. He drank okay. in excess um, to hide his sexuality. He, he um, obviously was still trying to come to terms with the fact that he was gay and, and didn't want other people in the army to know, so he drank a lot. And it was during yeah. his time in the army that he finally found himself in privacy. Um, for the first time, he had a private room, obviously he shared a room with his family, um, and he could... For want of a better way of putting it, masturbate freely and um, indulge in whatever fantasy he felt would get him off. Um, he, <laughs> I, I go, have a go ahead. That man was going to town. He was going like ham he on was. That dick. He was pounding that dick. I mean, I kind of get it. He's got his own room. He's probably got. He's probably at that age now. So you know what? If you want to just whack away. You you choke the chicken. You whack away. You you. If you want to beat have that yourself meat, a ball. Who the hell are we to stop you? But I can um, imagine. I'd say good what... for you, but obviously it really gets out of hand. So yeah, I was about to say I can imagine it probably gets a bit ridiculous. Um, or he's doing it to things that are problematic. Oh yeah, absolutely. He often described himself and his friends in the court as a hardworking <laughs> boozy lot. Um, and it was on one particularly booze-filled night out that Nilsson met a young German man um, with whom he spent the night. Um, although nothing sexual occurred, the next morning Nilsson woke up to find this young, slender man um, naked and passed out on the floor. He you found Slenderman you, naked? You know, no, slender man. <laughs> Not slender sorry. man. See, very sorry. different. Sorry, that was a very bad joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> very, very different. If it was Slenderman, this would be a whole different story. <laughs> but waking up and, and see, seeing this young naked man fueled Nilsson's sexual fantasies, which eventually developed into his sexual partner being either unconscious in his fantasies or dead. Oh, oh, good. He, oh, he, good. he liked the idea that they weren't—they were unresponsive, basically—is the short thing. 
And he'd also later admit that during this time in the army, he would get drunk and fake passing out um, in the hope that one of his male colleagues would interfere with his supposedly unconscious body. So he'd just lay there and be like, in 1972, Nielsen decided to end his army career and very, very briefly moved back to his hometown and in with his family again. Um, and it was at this time during an argument with his older brother, who was also called Olaz, um, his father. He had an argument with him and basically Olaf outed him as gay to his mother, um, which she presumably Ooh. wasn't too happy about. Um, because after that, not only did Nielsen never speak to his brother again, ever, um, he also distanced himself from his family and... Um, made the decision to move away completely. Um, he moved down to London and joined the Metropolitan Police. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> yeah, right? Great. These are the sorts of policemen you want on your streets. <clears throat> That's it. Quick. The ones the that pretend to be unconscious. And then you've got fucking, you got Dennis Nielsen just rocking up, just being like, I'm here. And you're just like, oh, is there, was there any other officers available? Any? Well, this was one of like no? the major things with Nielsen because, Obviously, no spoilers. We all know he's going to do some bad shit. Let's not pretend like we don't see that coming. But when it finally broke and the news broke, getting a picture of him in his Met Police uniform on the front page of the newspapers was, like, huge. You know, you're selling a... If you're a journalist, yeah. you're selling yeah. a lot of newspapers with that picture on the front. So it was a big deal that he was oh, in 100%. Met Police. Definitely a, a story spinner. So, yeah, he moved to London. And moving down there gave him a lot more opportunity to explore his sexuality. And experience being a gay, being being a gay, sorry, being gay um, as a lifestyle that he didn't have as much reason to hide. Sorry, that was a really bad way of putting being it. Being a gay. <laughs> it just came out wrong. Experience being what are, gay. What are you being? I'm, being I'm just a gay. being a gay. <laughs> but he didn't have to hide it as much. You know, he, he felt like he could be a bit more free with it. Not completely, but obviously we're still talking about the early 70s. It's not 100% where we are now. But he could be a bit more free. Um, on a night out, um, Nielsen intervened in a fight. He broke up a fight outside a bar. And it was here that he met David Gallican, is I believe how you pronounce it. I'm sorry if that's wrong. Um, who was a homeless and unemployed gay man who was residing in a hostel at the time. Um, they spent the night together and the following morning decided that they should look for a house and move in together. So he is a fast worker. One night and he's like, hey, you want to yeah. move in? He must be a charmer. The pair found a vacant flat in 195 Melrose Avenue and moved in together, living as a couple, but very, very rarely having intercourse. Um, they weren't a particularly loving couple. They were just a couple that together, basically. Um, although they were initially quite happy, they began bringing home casual <laughs> lovers and just gradually grew apart. As, as you would, you know, if you come home and your partner's in bed with another man, yeah. you probably would grow apart a little bit. Although Nielsen never actually hurt Gallagher, he did verbally abuse him, um, and it wasn't a particularly loving relationship towards the end. And in 1977, two years later, um, Nielsen demanded that David Gallagher leave the film and the relationship did. By the time late 1978 came around, um, Nielsen was living a very solitary existence. He was pretty much only working and then going home very, very heavily drinking and just listening to music and you know passing the time alone essentially um, which yeah. makes it sound like i'm trying to make us feel sorry for him um which if you do at this point don't he, he's a bit of a dickhead <laughs> just as wait we're about to find out <laughs> that's that you just wait till you yeah. hear what's coming and then you won't feel sorry for this man 
Yeah. So when you talk about Dave, um, De- David, sorry, not David, Dennis Nielsen, um, there's two addresses that tend to immediately spring to mind. And the first one is Melrose Avenue, um, which was where he was living on his own mm-hmm. at the end of 1978. Um, it's also where he killed his first victim in December 1978. That first victim mm-hmm. being 14-year-old Stephen Holmes. Holmes bumped into Nielsen in the Cricklewood Arms pub, uh, where Holmes basically unsuccessfully tried to purchase alcohol. He was obviously too young and didn't have ID, so I respect couldn't get it. I um, respect the effort there. Fair according enough. to Nielsen, <laughs> I know you got to give it a try, right? Right. <laughs> Fair enough, man. We all did it as teenagers. We all did it. <clears throat> um, according to Nielsen, Stephen had been drinking heavily, and Nielsen had as well on the day that he met Holmes. And he decided that that evening he must, at all costs, leave his flat and seek company. So Nielsen went to the pub as well. He invited Holmes back, Holmes, sorry, back to his house with the promise of drinking more alcohol. Obviously, he'd been refused service, so he had to get his alcohol somewhere. Um, and listen to music. And he believed that he was approximately 17 years old, which obviously would later come about. He really was. Obviously, a 14-year-old being very, very drunk, once he got back to Nilsson's place very quickly, fell asleep. And Nilsson recalls later in his confessions that he stated he was too afraid to wake him in case he left me. Um, he didn't want him to leave. So after essentially feeling him up a little bit while he was sleeping, Nilsson decided that Holmes was to, quote, stay with me over the new year, whether he wanted to or Nilsson oh. reached for a necktie. <laughs> straddled Holmes as he strangled him into unconsciousness before drowning him in a bucket filled with water. Nielsen then washed the body in his bathtub before placing him on his bed and caressing the body. He masturbated twice over the body before awaiting the passing of rigor mortis. Um, Obviously, in this situation, being stiff wasn't ideal. Um, (laughs) He had to wait for it to pass (laughs) so that he could pick up the body and stow the corpse beneath i'm just gonna give dom a minute because i made a joke about being stiff and apparently he's five i wasn't expecting it it's just it caught so (laughs) you can't talk about rick and mortis and not make a stiff joke no you can't to be honest i'm surprised actually no had we already made a sexual joke before that we probably had i don't know there's been a lot of wanking in this story by nielsen not us i mean this is a different type of podcast now um I I was about to say it's it's taken us thirty two minutes to be sexual, but I'm pretty sure we were sexual way before then. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. if you come to Horror House expecting expecting no sexual windiwenos whatsoever, then sorry, you're in the wrong <laughs> because, place, right? We're gunning for that Durex <laughs> Durex sponsorship. We're going to get it in some way. Absolutely, absolutely, we are. So. Hans's bound corpse remained beneath the floorboards for almost eight months um, before Nilsson oh, built a bonfire God. in the garden um, and burned his body in August 1979. Eight months that's, with a body under your floorboards. That's grim. Isn't it? That's grim. Obviously, I, well, I don't know. I don't know if he's having you know visit, visitors to the house. I don't know why anyone would want to visit the house. Um, but like even, even Dennis, like how did Dennis live? With a fucking corpse under his house for eight months. That must have I mean, fucking stank. He one. quite that, liked like, it. No, that's true. No, yeah, yeah. In fact, yeah. I have got a quote but still, that's um, why. from Nielsen 
about this first body and about this first killing. So so speaking about Holmes and, and the immediacy after the death. Um, Nilsson said during his confession, I eased him into his new bed, obviously meaning the one below the floorboards. Um, a week later, I wondered whether his body had changed at all or had started to decompose. I disinterred him and pulled the dirt-stained youth up onto the floor. His skin was very dirty. I stripped him naked and carried him into the bathroom and washed his body. There was practically no discoloration and his skin was pale and white. His limbs were more than relaxed than when I put him down there. So I don't think he minds having a dead body under the floorboards. Yeah. Dirty git. Right. Unbelievable. Not ideal. So fresh <laughs> from burning the body of a 14-year-old um, in August of 1979. Just two months later, in October, um, Nielsen attempted to murder a student from Hong Kong named Andrew Ho, um, who he met in St. Martin's Lane pub and lured to his flat on the promise of sex. Um, Nilsson attempted to strangle Ho, but he was obviously not strong enough. Ho got away um, and fled from the flat and reported the incident to place. Nilsson was questioned in relation to the incident, but Ho decided to press charges, so nothing was ever brought against him. He, he'd not killed him, but he'd managed to get away. Yeah. Again, two months seems to be the, you know, the key for Nilsson, because two months later, he was at it again. Um, this time he encountered a 23-year-old Canadian student named Kenneth Ockenden, um, who had been taking a tour of his English relatives um, moving around London. They met in a pub, which is, again, quite a common occurrence um, for Nelson. He does love a good drink and, you know, it's a good place to pick people up. Um, but upon learning that this young man was a tourist, he offered to show Ockenden some of the routes and London um, London landmarks, sorry, um, which Ockenden accepted. Obviously, free tour guide, why wouldn't you? After they'd had a day in London together looking at the sights, he invited um, Ockenden back to his house with a promise of a meal and some drinks. Um, they went and bought some alcohol and went back to his apartment. Now, Nilsson, one thing that he was quite notorious for in terms of his confession was that it was very, very vague. Um, he was very, he had selective memory, let's put it that way. So he was adamant that he couldn't recall the precise moment that he strangled Ockenden. But he did recall that he strangled him with the cord of his headphones while he listened to music. Um, he also recalled dragging Ockenden across the floor with the wire still wrapped around his neck. Um, and as he strangled him, presumably with one hand, with the other hand, he began pouring himself a glass of rum. And he remembered continuing to listen to the music on the headphones as was dying which is pretty fucking sick yeah that's fucked man yeah that's that's pretty next level fucked up as well just sort of shows how absolutely fucking disturbed this guy is yeah pretty much but if you think that's fucked the following day <coughs> um nilson purchased a polaroid camera and photographed ockenden's body in various suggestive positions he then laid ockenden's corpse spread eagled above him on his bed as he watched television for several hours before wrapping the body in plastic bags and stowing the corpse beneath the floorboards, again, shockingly enough. On approximately four occasions over the following fortnight, um, Nielsen disinterred Ockenden's body, brought him up from under the floorboards, and seated him in his armchair alongside him um, to watch TV, to drink alcohol with him. He, he would pour him a drink and talk to the body. And he did that three or four times, bringing him out of the floor and, you know, talking to him and chilling with him, basically. Christ. Wow, <laughs> I, I don't, 
I don't know what to say on that. Wow. Yep. Wow. Because this is this is pretty new to me because I don't really know the intricacies of this case. Wow. Jesus. I was about to say, like, maybe you should get <laughs> some friends that are alive, but I don't. Yeah. But that's not that's how he likes them. No, no, it's not, is it? Alive people are far too alive for Dennis. Exactly that. Um, so that was December 1979. We then come to May 1980 and Nilsson's third victim, uh, 16-year-old Martin Duffy. Again, following another drunken night out, this was how he operated. Um, the youth had fallen asleep in Nilsson's bed. Nilsson then fashioned a ligature around his neck and simultaneously sat on Duffy's chest and tightened the ligature with quite great force. Nielsen held his grip until Duffy became unconscious, and then he dragged the youth to his kitchen and drowned him in the sink. Um, he then bathed the body, which he recollected as being, sink. quote, the youngest looking I had ever seen. Something creepy about that. Um, Duffy's Yikes. body was first placed upon a kitchen chair and then upon a bed that he had initially been strangled in. The body was repeatedly kissed, complimented and caressed by Nielsen, both before and after he had masturbated while sitting on the stomach of the corpse. Um, for two days, Duffy's body was stored in a cupboard and Nielsen only stopped, let's say, using the body when he noticed signs of bloating. And at that point, as soon as he realised that, he, quote, <clears throat> went straight under the floorboards. Yeah, his usefulness had been... Uh over and done with by that point obviously there's nothing sexy um, about bloke wow no uh yeah jesus christ exactly following duffy's murder nielsen began to kill with increasing frequency um before the end of 1980 he killed a further five victims so bear in mind this had been may Holy. five more people died um between may and what? the end of 1980 the end of the year um and there was an attempted murder of one other during that time as well only one of the victims from that portion of time, so from between May 1980 and the end of 1980, has ever been identified. He was identified as William Sutherland, a 26-year-old. Nielsen's recollections of the unidentified victims were really vague, which was why they were never identified. You know, There was no way to track who they had been because most of the time they were very similar to his first victim in that they were homeless, they didn't have family, they were vagrant, whatever. Um, and if Nielsen couldn't remember yeah. who they were, then essentially they just went unidentified. But inevitably, the bodies that were under the floorboards remained there. So right from back in 1978, when he killed his first victim, all the way through to the end of 1980, all of these bodies were all under the floorboards, all decomposing, all kicking up a stick. Yeah. So Nielsen pretty quickly realised that he was going to have to do something about it. There was obviously a really bad smell. There were beginning to be flies and things like that. So he knew that he had to, you know, take care of it. He disinterred all of the victims from underneath the floorboards. Um, he noticed the bodies were covered in pupae and maggots. Mm. Some of the victims' heads had maggots crawling out of their eye socket and mouth. He Beautiful. Even uh. that grossed him out. So as it probably would. So rather than doing anything for a couple of days, he instead placed deodorant sticks under the floorboards and sprayed insecticides um, in the flat twice daily to get rid of the odour. Um, but obviously, the flies and the smell still remained. So in late 1980, yeah. very late 1980, um, Nielsen removed and dissected the bodies of each of the victims that he killed since um, December 1978 and burned them on a communal bonfire um, that he constructed on waste ground behind his flat. To disguise the smell of the burning, he whacked on a couple of tyres 
um, because obviously burning rubber stink. So he did that to cover the smell of the bodies. And in his autobiography, which I have read and as twisted it is, really do recommend. It's very, uh, very interesting. He said that he remembered that there were three children in attendance at the bonfire and they were like, you know, having a good time and dancing around the fire and stuff like that. And obviously little did they know that it was a pile of corpses. That's fucked. That, yeah, that's fucked. A few things. Um, right. Number one, if you listen to this show, I'm assuming that you've got a morbid curiosity that me and Amy both share. So, yeah, go and read the autobiography. Like, because if you're listening to this, I can imagine that you've probably got quite a strong stomach. Um, two, going back to him, you know, even him complaining about the smell and using like deodorant sticks and, and all that stuff. I can just picture him like in his house just being like, yeah, it's starting to get a bit uh, a bit ripe in here. How can I get rid of that smell? How can I get rid of the smell? Oh, no, you get some deodorant sticks and, and all that. And it's like, no, maybe take the corpses out of your house. <laughs> like, just remove yeah. the corpses. Like, At the very least, doing? stop adding to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't make it worse by adding to them. But failing that, just get rid of the ones that are already there. <laughs> but you know what, Dom? He did not take that advice. He's just had his nice big bonfire and disguised the smell with a couple of nice big tires, but he still wanted to keep going. Um, And his final victim that he murdered at Melrose Place, not his final victim, just his final victim at Melrose Avenue, um, was 23-year-old Malcolm Barlow, who Nielsen discovered slumped against the side of a wall outside his home on the 17th of December, 1981. Um, when Nilsson asked about Barlow's welfare, very bad place to be. When Nilsson asked him how he was, he said that the medication he was on for his epilepsy had caused his legs to weaken, so he was struggling to walk. Um, Nilsson suggested that Barlow should be in hospital and supported him, walked him into his residence before phoning for an ambulance, which came and, and, and took Malcolm Barlow away, took him to hospital. Um, they let him go the next day and Barlow returned and Nilsson's home, presumably to, you know, say thank you for helping me and whatnot. He was invited in and after eating a meal and having a bit of a drink together, um, he fell asleep on Nilsson's sofa. Nilsson's oh response to this was to strangle him um, while he slept and he stowed his body underneath the kitchen sink till the following morning. Naturally. Why, why wouldn't you? That's a perfectly normal thought to have. Of course. Isn't it? There's yeah. a really, really... <laughs> horrible part in the autobiography it's it's horrible but it's also like just it's just an insight into this guy's mind and and how twisted he is where he talks about Malcolm Barlow and he talks about the fact that he helped him he felt like a good person for helping him but then the next morning when he came back and he opened the door and he was there he felt like it was a sign that he was supposed to kill him that he was he'd missed his opportunity the night before so he was getting a second chance which is yeah yeah Yeah, that's fucking wild. It is. But that was it for Melrose Avenue. Um, In mid-1981, Nilsson's landlord decided to renovate the entire building um, and asked Nilsson to vacate the property, which was probably quite concerning considering it's stanky dead bodies. And he was initially pretty resistant. um, But after the landlord offered offered him £1,000 to vacate, he decided that he would take that. And he moved into an attic flat the second of the notorious addresses that are connected to Dennis Nilsson, 23D Cranley Garden. And Don, before 
we talk about what happens at Cranley Garden. Shall we take a break? I think I need it. I think, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it's a good time. <laughs> I think people need a breather at this point. So yeah, let's take a break. I need a break too. Let's do that. And we'll <laughs> see you back here in a few. Hey, True Crime listeners, check out our podcast, I Said Goddamn. We're a true crime comedy podcast hosted by two besties who like to share messed up cases that make you say goddamn. Every Sunday, we try to one-up each other's story by sharing a horrific case the other has never heard of. Along the way, we splash in some wildly inappropriate jokes and colorful language. Listen every Sunday from any of your favorite podcast directories. Also, follow us on Twitter at ISGDpodcast or visit our website, isgdpodcast.com. In the 1970s, four women were found dead in their apartments in London, Ontario. At first, pathologists determined they died of natural causes. But when three more women turned up dead, the community discovered something far more sinister at play. Listen to Dark Adaptation Podcast to hear how a deranged killer scaled buildings to enter their victims' bedrooms. From the darkest corners of the most haunted places in the world to the lesser-known cases in true crime, we take you on a journey through the twisted and bizarre. And for larger cases, our resident astrologist delves into the charts and skies of major events and people for a true crime podcast with a cosmic twist. Tune in every Monday to Dark Adaptation wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'll catch you on the dark side. So, welcome back. We have delved into everything that happened with Mr. Nielsen at Melrose Avenue. How are you feeling after all of that, Dom? You good? Still got your dinner in your stomach? Yes, I'm feeling okay. I did go and run for my vape as soon as you were like, let's take a break. I'm not going to lie. For for no reason that's got not related to this in no way, shape or form. Um, no, I'm, I'm good. Like, you know, I mean, it, it's the nature of the podcast, isn't it? You know, we talked about Rock Terriel and his fucking just disgusting crap. So, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And And I did say... There was going to be some trigger warning that don't go any less for the second half. So <laughs> we did get a little bit more necrophilia heavy in the second half. So if that's your trigger, oh, now's the time to get out. The best kind of heavy, necrophilia heavy. I'm joking, <laughs> necrophilia audience. Necrophilia heavy. If anyone, if anyone clips that, please don't. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, God. No, that's that's good. Like of all the things I've ever yeah, said, no necrophilia heavy probably isn't the best of them. <laughs> and they'll, they'll, I know what they'll do. They'll clip it when, when they'll clip it from when you go necrophilia heavy, and then me going the best kind of heavy. That's that. That will be the clip, and then <laughs> yeah, it'll just be like okay, we've got. <laughs> we'll we'll have to go on Instagram, like be like, so we've got an apology to make. <laughs> we've got some explaining to do. <laughs> we we do not support necrophilia. <laughs> It just <laughs> makes good podcast episodes. Uh, can you imagine if someone like stumbled upon this podcast and was like, I'm going to give it a listen. Didn't look to see what it was called or anything. And this is their introduction. <laughs> Necrophilia. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Actually, thinking about it, I always have. So when I introduce people to the podcast, I'm always like, okay, you need to start at the start because number one, you know, your solo yeah. episodes are amazing. So <laughs> People should listen to them. But then also, oh, so, I, oh, stop. 
Stop it, you. Stop it. Stop. But but carry carry on. But stop. Don't stop. But also, I feel like it's a good... (laughs) It eases them in to the point where I come in and everything (laughs) goes straight in the fucking gutter because all I do is make sexual innuendo (laughs) and and laugh at people's deaths. So it's a good, you know, good level to come in at before I ruin everything. I mean, you don't ruin everything. Like that's not true. <laughs> like thanks. I would say that you make you make my episodes far better than than they would be. So, but yes, and if, if, if you're starting else, the show, we've got great accents. Absolutely, come for the accents. Stay for the rotting corpses. Necrophilia. Necrophilia. <laughs> oh God. Oh, what what, oh, what did I put on the podcast since the story the other day? Um, it was when it was when we did the Hisachi Auchi episode. And I think you put a story um, on your your Insta, just being like, "New episodes out." I say the word "gooch" however many times, oh, and yeah. I put a story, I put a story, didn't I? I was like, "Come for the come for the radiation related death, stay for the gooch." I actually had <laughs> someone reply gooch. to that story and say, "Gooch is a very underutilized word, as is sphincter." So we should oh, try and use sphincter in another, but it doesn't right. really apply here. So I'm no. not gonna. No, definitely not. <laughs> in fact, what I'll do is I'll talk about Cranley Garden, which is Dennis Nilsson's second notorious London address. There was a major difference between Melrose Avenue and Cranley Gardens. And at Cranley Garden, there was no garden. And Nilsson was residing in the attic flat, not the ground floor flat. So he wasn't able to stow anybody's underneath the floorboards. Um, so for almost two months, oh. um, any acquaintances that Nilsson encountered were basically safe. Um, he still lured them back to the flat, um, but they weren't assaulted in any manner. He did make one attempt to strangle a 19-year-old student named Paul Nobbs. Don't laugh at Nobbs. I'm not. I'm good. I'm good. Are you sure? Because I did. I'm good. Nobbs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm done. I'm good. Lol, Nobbs. <laughs> um, but Nobbs got away because... Nilsson had to stop himself from completing the act because he didn't, he couldn't work out how to get rid of the body. So he stopped himself. But yep. unfortunately, it wasn't long before the urge to kill became too much. And Nilsson murdered 23-year-old John Howlett. Um, he employed his usual technique of plying him with booze um, before decided to kill him that night in that moment. However, he didn't do the best job this time. He attempted to strangle him several times. And every time he believed that um, Howlett was dead, he would suddenly resume breathing and it turned out that it was dead. You know, this happened five or six times. Um, he started breathing again. He had to try again to strangle him. And then getting bored of trying to strangle him and it not being successful, instead he decided to fill the bathtub and drown instead. And apparently that brief break from killing people meant that he forgot how to strangle people. Um, and I, I just have this vision in my head, and I know I shouldn't laugh because it's not funny because a man died. Definitely not funny. But I've just got this vision in my head of Nilsson attempting to strangle this guy, the guy waking and him being really embarrassed and just being like, oh, I'm so sorry. This, I swear to God, this never happens to me. <clears throat> like, this has never happened. I'm, I usually get there straight away. I'm so, <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry you're alive again. Do you know what I mean? No, like, yeah. oh, yeah, it's I fine. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll I have can, to fill can, the bathtub. Sorry. And then, and then Nobbs is just like, it's fine. It happens to the best of us, Dennis. It's okay. We'll try again. <laughs> yeah, no, try, try again. Try again. It's all right. Ten, take 10 minutes. Give it another go. Right. 
have a breather, have a cigarette, and we'll we'll have another go. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, not to worry. We'll we'll get there in the end. <laughs> not to worry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he he did eventually drown him in the bathtub. So gave up on the strangling method. Wasn't working for him. And was just like, fine. I'm just gonna fair enough. As you would, as you would. Not funny. Not but just yeah, let him go. Pretty embarrassing you're a when you're a serial no, I'm just killer at this point to already. And, and suddenly you've you forgotten how to strangle someone. So that's John Howlett. Um, and again, two months is like the magic, I don't know, amount of time in Nielsen's head before he has to kill again. Because two months after that, yeah. Carl Stotter fell victim to Nielsen. After another almost unsuccessful strangling attempt followed, and if it hadn't have been for the fact that his dog, so Nielsen's dog, Bleep, um, started licking Stotter's face, Nielsen would have thought that he was dead because he was unconscious he was barely breathing he thought he'd done yeah. the job the dog went over started licking him and he sort of woke up he was however very very barely alive but when nilson realized that he was in fact you know awake and that his dog had woken him up nilson managed to transfer him to his bed yeah revived him she says in inverted quotes and told him that he had gotten stuck in a sleeping bag and that actually Nielsen had saved him from being strangled by the sleeping bag. Obviously, Stotter was not in his right mind. He would have oxygen-deprived brain and, you know, he was in and out of consciousness for mm -hmm. a few days, at which point Nielsen then dropped him off at the nearest railway station, sent him on his way and said goodbye. Um, so he okay. tried to strangle him, didn't succeed, thought, oh, maybe I need a bit more practice and... Essentially, that was what saved Carl Stotter's <laughs> life, was him not being able to kill him properly. Yeah. Which is a pretty close getting call. Sloppy. Think about it. He's getting sloppy. Yeah, well, I, I don't know about he's sloppy. He's rusty. He's rusty. I think he's getting half-hearted because in Melrose Avenue, he had the floorboards. He knew his system. He knew that once he had a dead body, he could put it under the floorboards. He could do what he wanted to it for as long as he wanted to it, and it wasn't going to be an issue. Yeah. And when it no longer became of use, he could burn it yeah. in the backyard. Now, he didn't have floorboards, he didn't have anywhere to keep the body, and he didn't have a backyard to burn it in. So maybe he's being a little bit, I don't know, loops because he hasn't actually got yeah. a plan going forward. Yeah, he's getting a bit complacent, do you think? Yeah, and, and worried, you know, worried that he's not going to know what to yeah. do when the time comes. I've always thought that, and I don't know if, if it's, it's not really a, a pattern, but I've always thought that once serial killers once they serial kill for a certain amount of time they become they become complacent and they start making mistakes and they start to it's it's kind of like they get bored and they start to they start to do things they, they weren't doing before i don't know like maybe he's just maybe he's just sort of bored you know once you first start as a serial like i i i don't have any prior experience um you know <laughs> i don't have anything to base this off but i would think that like at the start it's a bit of a rush you're doing this and you're you know you're you're not getting caught so it's a bit of a rush but then over time it starts to become a bit monotonous maybe potentially i don't know maybe i'm not yeah. in the ballpark but maybe i can only assume that it loses its thrill i think that you know those first yeah, that's, few that's what i'm thinking you get that rush and then all of a sudden mm. that rush isn't there anymore yeah. i yeah. don't know because like, i've got no urge you know, to be a serial killer i've got no urge to kill anyone but that's my assumption is that there's yeah. a rush that you get with yeah. it then becomes harder and harder to get. Yeah. Oh, 100%. But that didn't stop him, unfortunately. 
Carl sort of did get away. Um, he was taken to the train station. He did, you know, manage to escape Nielsen, probably not even realising how close he actually came to being dead. Um, but the following months, mm-hmm. Nielsen met Graham Allen um, and invited him over for a meal from the local. Um, again, Nielsen was very vague when it came to his um, confession. He said he couldn't recall the precise moment that he'd strangled Alan, but recall approaching him as he sat eating an omelette um, with the full intention of murdering him. Um, Alan's body was kept in a bathtub for a total of three days before Nilsson began the task of dissecting him on the kitchen floor. Oh, not the kitchen, Dennis. Oh, the kitchen God. floor, yeah. That's pretty... The kitchen, That's a pretty Dennis. niche place to do it. <laughs> on the 26th of January, 1983, um, Nilsson killed his final victim, 20-year-old Stephen Sinclair. Sinclair was last seen by acquaintances in the company of Nilsson walking in the direction of the tube station, but... Instead, he went back to Nelson's flat. Sinclair fell asleep in a drug and alcohol-induced stupor in an armchair um, while Nelson was listening to music. Nelson approached Sinclair in the chair, knelt before him and said to himself, Oh, Stephen, here I go again, before strangling Sinclair with a ligature constructed with a necktie and a rope. After he'd killed Sinclair, he noticed that he had some bandages on both of his wrists, and when Nilsson removed these, he found several deep slash marks um, because Sinclair had tried to kill himself um, just a few days before. Following Nilsson's usual ritual with Sinclair of bathing the body, Nilsson laid Sinclair's body on a bed, um, covered it in talcum powder, and he then arranged three mirrors around the bed before himself getting naked and lying with the body. Um, he fell asleep and several hours later, he turned Stephen's head towards him um, before kissing his body, his forehead um, and saying goodnight, Stephen, before then going back to sleep for the night. As had been the case in, you know, a lot of the other murders, he then dissected Sinclair's body um, with various dismembered parts being wrapped in plastic bags and stored either in a wardrobe that he kept in the living room, a tea chest, which he also kept in the living room, or within a drawer that was located underneath the bathtub. The bags that were used to seal Sinclair's remains um, were sealed with the actual bandages that he had taken off of his wrist. And he used those, he reused those, he upcycled them into um, <laughs> bag closing straps. I don't even know what you <laughs> want to call it. Reuse, recycle. Nilsson attempted to dispose of the flesh, the internal organs and some of the smaller vo- bones of all three of the victims at Cranny Garden by flushing their dissected remains down the <clears> toilet. Um, and... In a practice that he'd he'd started at Melrose Avenue, but I guess you could call it perfected at Cranley Garden, he also boiled the heads, um, the hands, and the feet to remove all of the flesh so that the bones could then be flushed down the toilet. Beautiful. Why still keeping that dinner down? It sounds really bad, but I can just see him pick. I can just like picture him trying to flush these body parts down the toilet and then just like getting the plunder, just be like, "Would you go down the toilet?" Right. Yeah. Why? Why? It's, why it's try and flush them down the toilet? Well, that's Come a on, really Dennis. good question. Like, you can't even flush because, wet wipes. Exactly. It is testament that you should not flush stuff down the toilet, particularly if you're a serial. Yeah. Because it's going to cause your drainage issues. The toilet issues. is for flushing poop. Exactly. Yeah. There is a reason that that was his final victim because Nilsson's murders were shortly afterwards discovered on the eighth of February. 1983, when Dino Rod employee Michael Catran, I think is how you say his name, 
responded to plumbing complaints made by the other tenants of Cranley Garden. Um, he opened a drain cover on the side of the house and discovered that the drain was packed with a flesh-like substance and numerous small bones of unknown origin, which was the blockage itself was just too big to clear that same day. So he was going to come back the next day. Yeah. He agreed with Nielsen to return the following morning. Um, and when Cataran exclaimed about how similar the substance was in appearance to human flesh, Nielsen replied, it looks to me like someone has been flushing down their Kentucky Fried Chicken. So obviously Cataran goes away, comes back at 7.30am very early the next day, by which time the drain had been cleared. This obviously aroused suspicion um, of Cataran and Wheeler, who was uh, his colleague that came back the next day. And when they continued to, you know, I'm not sure what the word is, but like snake the drain or whatever, they discovered some scraps of flesh and four bones in a pipe leading from the drain, which linked the top of the house to them. To both of them, it looked like the bones were human, um, very similar to sort of finger bones, like the digit and the shorter bones. To which their response was obviously, place, and this definitely isn't right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That looks like a pinky. It's time to call the fuzz. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so three officers responded and asked to look in Nilsson's flat um, for obvious reasons. That was where the pipe was coming from and therefore the first place to check. Um, and as soon as they entered his flat, they immediately noted the odour of rotting flesh. Nilsson at this point was continuing yep. to question why they were so interested in his drains. You know, why did the police need to be called to look at, you know, the plumbing? Um, and he was informed that the blockage had been caused by a human remain. On hearing that, Nielsen feigned shock and bewilderment, um, stating, good grief, how awful. And in response to that, one of the officers, Officer um, Jay, replied, don't mess about. Where's the rest of the body? Nielsen took a few moments and then responded calmly. Um, admitting that the remainder of the body could be found in two plastic bags in a nearby wardrobe, from which, when they looked at it, um, Jay and his colleagues noticed that the overpowering smell of decomposition was coming out of that wardrobe. Um, the officers didn't open the cupboard, because why the hell would you? Um, but asked Nielsen whether there were any other body parts to be found, um, to which Nielsen replied, and honestly, I'm going to quote this, but it still gives me just obviously the creeps it's just so horrible they asked if they could find any body parts and Nilsson replied it's a long story it goes back a long time i'll tell you everything i want to get it off my chest but not here at the police station um he was then arrested and cautioned okay. on suspicion of murder before being taken to hornsey police station while en route to the police station Nilsson was asked whether the remain in his flat so the ones that they found that day belonged to one person or to two people. And staring out of the window of the police car, he replied, 15 or 16, it's been since 1978. Wow. So that was his first <laughs> admission of <laughs> how many people it might have been. Yeah. I can see him saying that like so casually as well, just like wistfully staring out the window, like with his hand, like with his sort of head in his fist, just being like, oh, 15 or 16. Yeah. Yeah. It's again, like, I feel like I always do this because it's, I, I often know about these people and then watch things that come up about them. But there is an ITV series called Des, um, where David Tennant plays Dennis Nilsson. And this exact moment, Ooh, these like exact it. quotes 
from Dennis Nilsson when he was arrested are used word for word in that series. And that moment where he's in the back of that police car and says 15 or 16 since 1978 is so chilling, so horrible. Yeah, and, yeah, and David Tennant does it so, so yeah. perfectly. That if yeah. you are interested in knowing more about Dennis Nilsson as a result of having listened to this, please do watch it. It's incredible. And and David Tennant just plays him yeah. so, so well. Um, it's, it's a really good I series. Can imagine, it's a lot more in-depth than I'm going today. I can imagine he was like, so blasé about it as well like like someone asked him like what are your plans for the weekend he was so just chill about it yeah i I think he is just he's just one of those sorts of people he's he's just not quite all there but that sort of that start of that confession that 15 or 16 since 1978 that heralded the beginning of what is just an insanely huge confession he sang like a canary um, once he got to that police station, yeah, yeah, he gave the police locations of remains. He gave them as many names of the victims as he could remember because he definitely couldn't remember them all. Um, and he gave them very detailed information on how he disposed of the bodies. It led the police finding human remains in the tea chest in Nelson's living room, um, a lower section of torso and legs stowed in a bag in the bathroom, as well as a skull and a section of torso in the living room which they obviously hadn't opened when they previously. Um, Police interviewed Nielsen on 16 separate occasions over the following days, and the interviews would total over 30 hours. So, yeah, a lot, a lot to be said. During that whole time, he was adamant that he had no idea why he'd killed. Um, he, He didn't know why he did it. He simply said, I'm hoping you will tell me that when the police asked him why he'd done it. Um, he also remained adamant that the decision to kill wasn't made until literally the moments before he'd done it. So he wasn't going to the bar to pick yeah. people up in order to kill them. He just, he did that, brought them back for company and then decided once they were there that he was going to kill them. And he maintained that, you know, the entire time throughout his confession. Most of his yeah. victims died by strangulation. Um, on several occasions, he drowned them when the strangulation didn't work, but they had been knocked unconscious by it. Um, once the victim had been yeah. killed, he typically bathed the victim's body, shaved any hair from the torso um, to conform to his physical ideal. Obviously, he liked them young. So if they were too hairy, it would suggest that they're not that young, so he would shave them. He applied makeup to any obvious blemishes on their skin um, so that those could be covered up. He usually dressed the body in socks and underpants, and generally he would then drape the victims around him um, so they were hugging him or, or touching him physically because that's what he liked. And he would walk them around the house with him um, and talk to them. With most of his victims, Nilsson masturbated as he stood alongside them or knelt above the body. And he confessed to occasionally having intercural sex, I believe is how you pronounce it. Essentially, he would... What the hell is that? I, I don't know how to say this nicely, so... I don't even want to, no, like, I'll go. give a trigger warning for what I'm about to say. Basically, he fucked their thighs. So he would just press their thighs together huh? and stick between them. And that's how he got off. Oh, okay. Um, okay, right. But okay. he repeatedly was very, very keen to tell police that he did not actually penetrate his victims. Like, I don't know what he thought that was going to achieve at this point, but he was very yeah. adamant that he didn't actually have sex with the dead people. He just, you know, fucked their thighs away. Yeah. Um, and his excuse for this was that his victims were 
too perfect and too beautiful for the pathetic ritual of commonplace sex. Uh, <laughs> I, just, I, I, uh, I, I don't know what I to mean, say that. that whole sentence. Was it, just... It's tough to know what to say to that. Yeah, I just, yeah. that was, that's wild. I also love how, like, he tried to make, him out, make himself out to be a good, like, to be a good guy by not penetrating his victims. When it's just like, oh, no, yeah, that's fine. Just ignore everything else. He didn't penetrate his victims. It's fine. It's fine. He's, he's, he's all right. Like, no. Oh, he did. He's a normal no, guy. Fucking no issues. Yeah, yeah. He's not fucking the corpses and therefore fucking totally creep. normal. Mental. The police also questioned why the heads found at Cranley Garden had been subjected to being boiled. And Nilsson stated that he frequently did this um, in a cooking pot on his stove so that the internal contents, i.e. the brains, evaporated, thus removing the need to dispose of them. And then he only had the skulls to worry about. Um, the torso and limbs of his three victims killed at his Cranley Gardens address were dissected within about one week of their murder before being wrapped in plastic bags and stowed in the three locations that, you know, he told the police when they got there. And then when it came to things like the internal organs, the smaller bones, um, stuff like that, he flushed those down the toilet. Um, that was the practice, obviously yeah. the one that led to his arrest, but it had been the only method that he could think of to dispose of the internal organs of soft tissue because unlike Melrose Avenue, he didn't have access to a garden property so he couldn't burn the bodies like he had previously. So yeah, essentially what he was saying was, well, I had to be practical, so I, I boiled the heads of my victims so that I didn't have to deal with the flesh that was on them. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it sounds really bad, but I can just, I can picture... You know that Bear Grylls meme where it's like improvise, adapt, overcome. I can just picture his face on that meme, just being like improvise, adapt, overcome. Yeah. Modern solu- yeah. modern problems require. You, you've got no solutions. floorboards, you've got no garden, but mate, you can still do a bloody good murder. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. But that that whole bit from before about you know where he was dressing the body and bathing them and covering their blemishes and things like that. Again, in his um, autobiography, which I, I think from memory is called The History of a Drowning Boy, which is his words. Okay. It's, it's him writing it. He talks about how he sees these men or boys as like works of art and he never wanted to, to desecrate them. That's why he never had sex with them because he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to ruin it. He was just so in awe of their beauty that he wanted it to stick around forever and, and he could only see them as beautiful if they weren't moving or they were dead. So it's a pretty harrowing read. Like, I feel like it should have affected me more when I read it, but it's it's definitely worth a read. It definitely gives you an insight into how he was thinking. We both we are both very desensitized. I think we've 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 realized Oh yeah. Like, I mean you you called me up laughing at Cannibal Holocaust, I remember. <laughs> Don't tell everyone that. Come on. Oh, you you mentioned it before on a previous episode. It's fine. The people know. <laughs> oh, did oh okay, that's fine then. Cannibal Holocaust yeah, is yeah, a horrific no, this film. Is a new information. But there were moments in it where I I was laughing. I laughed to hide the pain and the trauma. Um. Anyway, we're getting off topic. <laughs> Let's talk about what happened to um Dennis Nilsson. We're very close to wrapping up on this episode, though. Let me tell you what happened once he was caught. Um, after all of those interviews, all of that 30 hours of, of recorded footage of him being interviewed, um, Nilsson was brought to trial on the 28th of October 1983. Um, he was charged with six counts of murder and two of attempted murder. Obviously, we know 
he had a lot more victims than that. Um, he admitted to a lot more victims, but no body, no crime. So if they didn't have enough of a body to put together and connect body to an identity, he couldn't be charged with the murder. So there was only six counts. Um, I say only, it's still a lot, but you know, it's not the 15 that he yeah. could have potentially <laughs> murdered. He pled not guilty by reason of insanity. Um, which to be honest, I think is probably fair. Like he's definitely not all there, but still very much yeah. guilty. He still definitely <clears throat> killed them. So, you know, yeah. the jury think... returned a majority I... verdict. Sorry, go on. Uh, I was about to say, I, did, I wasn't shocked that the reason they're not guilty by reason of insanity was the plea. I was like, yeah. that that did not, sh- I would have been more shocked that wasn't the the plea, to be honest. Oh yeah, Absolutely. So yeah, the the jury convicted him um, guilty of six counts of murder and one of the attempted murders, um, and he was sentenced to life imprisonment with a recommendation that he serve a minimum of twenty five years. That was in nineteen eighty three. It was later overturned nineteen eighty four, and rather than a minimum of twenty five years, it was a whole life tariff. So until he died, basically, um, yeah. which he did in York Hospital on the twelfth of May two thousand eighteen, and get ready for what might be a really bad or a really good pronunciation. Um, But he died after a pulmonary embolism and retroperitoneal hemorrhage. That was... Hey, Amy can pronounce stuff. That was well done. That was very good. If I tried that, that would have been a fucking train wreck. Thank you so so much. That was And just to stop it off, if you don't know what those things mean, thank you. (laughs) Pulmonary embolism is a blood clot in the lung and... uh, Retroperitoneal hemorrhage, didn't do it that time, is bleeding <laughs> in and around the kidneys. So that's what he died of um, in mm. 2018. And I think it is safe to say good riddance. Um, he is known to have killed 12 young men by his own confession and by the evidence, but it's suspected that the true number may be 15. He had at least nine victims at Melrose Avenue, if not more, um, and his final three victims were... 23 Cranley Gardens. Of the eight identified victims, so the bodies that they could attach to an identity, um, only three of them, so mm-hmm. Stephen Holmes, Kenneth Ockenden, and Graham Allen, had a permanent address at the time of their murder, and the rest of them were mainly homeless, vagrants, runaways, or male prostitutes a lot of the time, which explains why yep. no one was really looking for them. No one came knocking on Dennis Nielsen's door, which is, is quite sad when you think about it, that no one was really and that's probably why he targeted them absolutely but that is the story of dennis nelson one of the uk's most grisly serial killers not someone that i would go to the pub and have a drink with i think it's fair to say wise not to yeah i might be safe yeah i'd be fine you no 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 yeah I, i i wouldn't be you know not not this attractive specimen i'm no i'm no that i can't say that with a straight face um, young slender yeah, male long, definitely not young or slender so i'm a male so i tick one of those boxes <laughs> i, I yeah, mean dennis was, nilsson's boxes was, aren't particularly ones that you want to tick no that's true that is very true but yeah that was that was that was something i wasn't very familiar with. like i i recognized the name but I, I didn't really know that much about that much about the case but he is he is a sick puppy man like he is he's he really something is. else he's Probably he is. He's quite I mean, often referred to, to as the British Dharma because it's very similar. I can see that the whole way through the episode. I was thinking, like, 
how how similar it is to Dharma. But that was, I was going to say very fun. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, that was... Informative. I mean, it was fun. It was informative. Like, don't get me wrong. It was like, this, this man was fucking disgusting. And I hope that he he's in hell, you know, getting the worst kind of torture imaginable. I say fun because, you know, it's nice to record with you. And it was very informative. And I didn't realize that, do you say 2018? So it's not that long since he died. He died relatively recently. No, he did die relatively recently. Yeah. I mean, obviously his crimes were quite a long time ago. Um, so he stopped being active in 1983. But yeah, he didn't yeah, die yeah. until 2018. To, like, to, to live until 2018. That's wild. I didn't think he was. I didn't think he had held yeah. held on for that long. But, pretty crazy. Uh, but yeah, Seventy two when was... he died. So. Oh wow! So he he lived to a pretty ripe old age then. Yep. What an arsehole, right? Yeah, yeah. That's really, really fucking unfortunate. Um, see, all us Brits are not mild mannered. We do have our fair share of uh, fucked up serial killers as well. No, we are not. Piss us off, and we'll boil your fucking head. That was yeah, impressive. I didn't mean. I do I'm under sorry. Our <laughs> Don't annoy Amy is the PSA on that because she will boil your head, <laughs> apparently. I'll be on my best behavior. <laughs> I won't. I'm delightful. I'm, I'm happy everyone's still here. But yeah, that's Dennis <laughs> Nielsen. He's he's a particular... I don't, I don't like saying that serial killers are my favorite, but I think his story is, is a good one. Um, and like I say, there's a lot written about him. I do recommend his autobiography. It's it's not often that you get to read a serial killer's autobiography um, because generally they're not published. His was, it's called The History of a yeah. Drowning Boy. I don't know where the profits go. So if you've got an issue, you know, buying books that potentially benefit serial killers, then maybe don't. But it is a good read. It's it's one that, it, it's just terrifying. He's so matter of fact. He's so, yeah. so into his own delusion that it makes it terrifying. Yeah. It's interesting in a very morbid way. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. It's like a... You know, it's like it's like you know, it's like a car crash. <laughs> you want to look away, but you just you just can't. You just have to keep on reading. You just can't. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a fun one. I like. I knew quite a lot about Dennis Nielsen anyway, but I like going over everything. There was stuff there that I didn't know either. So it was a good episode to do. And thank you for listening. Um, Dom, do you want to see us out? I can indeed. Uh, thank you for for listening to to this episode and amy sewed for the first time in a while which is always fun um that was very 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 enjoyable and amy as always you smashed it out of the park i know that you were a little <laughs> bit worried i know this is a bit behind the scenes info you're a little bit worried but no you 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 killed it pun intended um uh thank you for <laughs> for listening uh we hope you enjoyed uh don't forget to rate and review uh, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. I'm pretty sure with the with the algorithm on Apple Podcasts, the more you rate and review, the higher or the more Apple pushes the show. And you know we could get featured on Apple Podcasts, so please rate and review. Also follow the Instagram uh, at horrorhouse underscore pod. Um, recommend us to your friends, to your family, to your enemies, to your frenemies, to your dog, to your cat, to your postman, to the bin men. Just go around with Horror House flyers and post them through letterboxes. Don't forget to check out the merch store as well. Um, I'll put the code in the show notes if you do want that 30% off. And also, if you feel so inclined, 
hit up the buy me a coffee link and buy us some coffees. I'm more of a tea person. Amy will appreciate the coffee. Link. I love um, coffee. Yeah, Amy loves loves her caffeine. Bless her. But yes, thank you for listening this week. We hope you enjoyed. And all that's left to say from me is until next time, stay spooky. Stay spooky, bitch. Yeah.